Hello and welcome to Accountant Instruction Help and How To. In this lecture, we're going to be talking about macroeconomic history. We're going to be talking about classical economics. We'll talk about Keynesian economics and we'll be discussing business cycles. At the end of this, we will be able to distinguish between classical economics and Keynesian economics and see where these two models have interacted. We're going to discuss the history of growth. We're going to describe the business cycle and describe unemployment and how it relates to the business cycle. Remember that macroeconomics is going to be the study of the big pictures, the study of problems that affect the economy as a whole. Those problems often including growth, unemployment, and inflation. So when we look at these problems, we can look at these problems in terms of studying what is actually happening as we do with the science, studying is what is happening in a certain area and analyzing what the effect is of certain policies that are in that area. But note that when we look at macroeconomics, we're often going to be seeing economists put in an opinion in terms of what should happen, meaning we're going to see the study of what is happening. We're usually going to be seeing things in terms of an angle of what should be happening. What are the types of policy procedures that should be put in place in order to affect these areas, growth, unemployment, and inflation, in positive ways? For example, if we're thinking about growth, economic growth, then the idea is usually that we want to have more economic growth. So much of the study is going to be in the angle of what is economic growth that has worked, what are the things that we think will work in the future, and what type of policies, therefore, should be put in place in order to increase economic growth. When we think about the problem of unemployment, clearly the problem of unemployment is we want less of it. And so we want less unemployment. Usually, most of the study is from the aspect of how do we decrease unemployment? What are the policies that lead to less unemployment, more people working? When we think about the idea of inflation, usually the concept is inflation. We would like to have a steady currency that uh, has a enough money supply for the people, but also has a not runaway, does not have runaway inflation. What are the policies that we can put in place in order to do this, that? So note that these ideas usually are part of a political system as well, meaning that we often need political or law influence in order to put in policies from an economic perspective uh, to, to achieve some of these goals. It's interesting to note that the recession that happened in 2007 and 2008 due to the housing bubble being burst at that time period has sparked some debate that is old debate. Some of these topics have come back into light from that time period. So we've had some relatively stable growth before that time period. The fact that no, a lot of economists just really didn't predict the recession in 2007 and 2008 has really put in some new ideas and some old arguments. Those old arguments usually being classified as Keynesian type of ideas and classical economic type of ideas. It's difficult to put economists into two groups like this, and that's often what happens when we think about two ideas. We often think, well, it's the classical economists and the Keynesian economists. And oftentimes it's probably the case that uh, most people lie somewhere in between on the spectrum when we think about different types of topics. So that's what we want to take a look at. We want to take a look at the classical economic view, the Keynesian economic view, uh, what type of economists are, are lying in the middle of those types of view, and what kind of debates are being debated within these two views. What would be a more classical perspective? What would be a more Keynesian perspective? With the ultimate perspective that probably most people are somewhere in between depending on the type of topics that we're taking a look. If we think about classical economics, we're talking about economics that believe business cycles are temporary glitches and generally have a laissez-faire type of procedure. Laissez-faire being a French word for let it, uh, let it or them do or let go, basically meaning that the market in and of itself will take care of itself if we let it take care of itself within the long run and we shouldn't have the intervention within the market because that'll you know, prevent the invisible hand from doing the work that the invisible hand will do, meaning the market forces are the best 
cure of problems within the market and we need to let the market basically work out the problems. This is a more standard view before the 1930s when we had the Great Depression and macroeconomics kind of developed at a later time here. So in the 1930s, there's a lot bigger focus on, on the macroeconomics and these debating of these ideas because of the Great Depression in the 1930s. But because of a Great Depression, it's very difficult to argue that we need to do nothing in terms of a, of a Great Depression because that's just going to be politically difficult to do. And there's arguments that would arise in that time period and that Keynesian type of argument, of course, would arise in that time period. A Keynesian type of, of argument would believe that there's going to be business cycles reflect underlying problems that can be addressed with activist government policies. So if we were trying to picture these two models, we might picture a classical model seeing economic growth within the long run, economic growth increasing in the long run with markets being efficient, with less government intervention, and there's going to be some pitfalls in the long run, but in the long run uh, we'll have economic growth, and that's what we should basically focus on. On a Keynesian perspective, you can see a more short-run focus. You can, you can imagine that long-run growth and the Keynesians saying, hey, we can smooth out that graph. We can, rather than having these pitfalls within that long-run cycle, we can look for those pitfalls and we can basically smooth out that line so that we don't have the pitfalls and at least don't have these, these giant potholes <laughs> within, within the time frame. That's kind of the perspective between the short-run and the long-run that's being focused on in terms of a Keynesian model and a classical model. Before the 1930s, before the Great Depression, we're probably on a more laissez-faire type of model, although that the macroeconomics was really studied and debated a lot because of the Great Depression in the 1930s. From after the 1930s, because of the problems within the Great Depression, and there's a lot of debate over uh, whether policies increased or decreased the Depression, there's a lot of policy interactions within that time period. It's a huge area of study, huge area of interest. But after that time period, there was an idea of a more Keynesian model, more government intervention type of model that took place after the 1930s. And then all the way up till basically the 1970s when we had a time period of stagflation. We had a problem where inflation was increasing and the economy was still growing slowly, which theoretically shouldn't happen. We should be able to stimulate the economy. And that was a problem that kind of led to a more classical type of viewpoint at that point and then maybe a blending between a Keynesian model and a classical model after the 1970s and then from the 1970s onward again there's a fairly good uh, growth period or at least from the 1980s onward until we had the recession of 2007. Anytime there's that long period of growth like many things we pretty much thought that things were running fairly smoothly and everything all figured out we have the system down well, and then we had this recession of 2007 and 2008, which was not predicted by, by many people. And that reopens a lot of these debates in terms of the classical ideals and uh, Keynesian ideals. It's important to note that the recession of 2007 and 2008 is a big a recession, bigger than ones we've had in the past. And the recovery is not like we would have expected it to be, like the normal trends of a lot of recoveries would be. But it's also important to note that it's not anywhere near the, the Great Depression. The Great Depression, much more severe in nature than uh, the, the downturn we had in 2007 or 2008. But again, the, the severity of it and the fact that it wasn't predicted raises a lot of questions in terms of, uh, of these topics. In some ways, we can think of these short-run models and these long-run models as being in two different camps in a similar way that we can think of physics models being in two different camps, meaning the laws of physics for really small things and the law, laws of physics for really large things 
uh, may, are actually following two different laws. If we want to know something about the, the microscopic world, we may follow some different rules than the macroscopic world. If we're looking at the expansion of the universe rather than electrons, we might be looking at different rules. And at some point, you would think that there'd be some problems where those two things would like to converge. We would like to have a set of rules that, that are applicable in all areas. And uh, the same thing is going to be, can be thought of in terms of the academics here. We can think of basically the short run uh, focus, which would be of a more Keynesian focus, and the long run focus in terms of, uh, would be a more classical focus. In some ways, have been, been able to be basically in their own camp and debate within their own camp. And of course, the problems that are related to both camps and the policies that are going to be needed uh, would, would have to tie these together. So if we're making policy recommendations, the question is, we, we need to make policy recommendations and just in terms of actual practice application of economics in terms of the here and now. So we have to come up with some kind of uh, mixing of these two in order to do that. So the long run growth framework focuses on incentives for supply. So when we're thinking about the long run growth, we're usually thinking about how do we get supply up because those are going to be the things that generally focus on the long run framework. This is why the long run framework, the more classical framework, is usually going to be called supply side economics. Policies affect uh, production, things like uh, promoting work, getting pe more people to work in order to, and to promote growth, capital accumulation, improvements in technology. These are types of things that we're focused on in the long run to get that long run growth going. In the short run, we're usually focused more on the demand side. We're focused on business cycles. So business cycles are generally considered to be a short run thing. We're looking, and we'll look more into business cycles, but we'll, we'll see the cycle happening and we're trying to figure out what we can do in that short run. And this is sometimes called demand side economics, office focus, often focusing on people increasing their spending. So when we think about the cycle, how can we move out of a certain cycle and usually improve the cycle or stimulate the cycle, well, that's usually going to be some type of spending that's going to happen, either in, in trying to encourage people to spend in some way or the other, or encourage government spending in some way to stimulate that short-term cycle. That's going to be more of the short run, more of a Keynesian type of model. Now, of course, there's a lot of things that are going to be in between these two models. So when we think about things like unemployment or inflation, these are things that are going to be in between the two models oftentimes, and, and those are going to be a point of contention, just like if we were talking about the microscopic world and the macroscopic world of physics, and we had some problem that is in between the two, then we have to come to some consensus. In a practical, from a practical standpoint, we have the problem of inflation, and unemployment, we got to come to some consensus. When we make economic decisions in terms of policy making, then, of course, we need to make some kind of consensus because that policy needs to be based on a long-term pers perspective and a short-term perspective because we're, we're in the short-term and we're in the long-term. So what's the policy goal that we should be putting in place? It's important that the long run is, of course, just going to be an accumulation of all short runs. So if we added up all the short runs, that would be part of, that would be what the long run is consisting of. And anything policy decisions that are made in the short run will have an effect on the long run. So we need to basically blend these together uh, in some ways in order to make policy decisions. When we're considering the growth of an economy, we're often going to use terms like gross domestic product or GDP. And what we're considering is the measure of changes in total output over the long period of time. So how is our output changing over the long period of time? That's going to be our measure of growth. We're often going to be using terms such as gross domestic product. When we consider the idea of potential growth, that's going to be our potential. What could we be doing? What's the highest amount of output that an economy can substantially produce? and sell using the existing production process and resources. So using what we have at this point in time, what is the ideal, what is the potential output that we could have 
given those those resources. If we look at the U.S. growth rate, what we've seen is a fairly consistent growth rate since World War I between around 2% and 3.5%. So there's going to be pits and valleys within there, but we've had a fairly consistent growth rate for that long period of time, and that's led to a lot of prosperity within the United States. So the idea being there that if we have a large economy, then a steady growth rate, a stable growth rate at rates that don't look that large in comparison to some growth rate stories we've seen elsewhere recently, places like China and Japan, can be something that leads to success within the long run. So for a developed country, and we can contain those and we can keep those rates between 2 and 3%, 2 and 4% at the long-term growth rates at a developed country, we can have sustained growth. At least that's the story we've had so far. Another term that's going to be important when we compare different countries is going to be the growth rate per person or the per capita GDP. So when we think about these growth rates, we also need to apply it in terms of how large is the country. So just like when we're comparing two different things that are different sizes, the question is going to be how do we compare these two things that are different sizes? How do we compare this large company to this small company? We take some type of average. So if we take the average, what we're doing is we're taking the output, dividing it by the population, and then we're going to get some kind of output per person. That's going to be the per capita. Per capita outcome is something that we can then compare with different countries a lot more readily. And it's very possible that the total GDP goes up, but the per capita GDP goes down. So we want to use both those majors when we're looking into the performance of an economy. Business cycles. The idea of a business cycle is the upward or downward movement of an economy activity that occurs around a growth trend. So a business cycle are going to include terminology such as having a peak, having some kind of downturn, having a trough, and then an upturn. So if we're imagining the chart, we can see the chart's going to peak. Then we're going to say that we have a downturn, the trough's going to be the bottom, and then we're going to have an upturn. We could hear similar terminology when we're looking at the stock market and you're looking at the trends in the stock market. Note, though, that the stock market isn't the entire economy. That's one indicator of the economy, one piece part of the economy. And you could hear similar terminology there. But when we're talking about the economy as a whole, we're looking at similar terminology. We're saying that the economy is peaking, then it's going into a downturn, and then we have a trough, and then it's having an upturn. This type of terminology is going to be the short-term cycle. We're looking at these short-term business cycles when we look at these activities. If we were to imagine the long run, we're imagining that in the U.S. economy, we're imagining that 2% steady, somewhat steady growth. And now we're looking at the short-run business cycles and seeing the much more fluctuation that's happening within that short run using the terminology to describe these short runs. And of course, this is very important to businesses that are doing business. We're trying, they're all constantly trying to decide where are they at in the cycle? Are we in the peak? Are we in the downturn? Are we in the trough? Or are we in the upturn? Those will affect how businesses will behave, how businesses will make decisions. When we compare the two classic cool schools of thought, the classic economic thought and the Keynesian economic thought, the classic school of thought would be that we should just accept the business cycles as they occur and then have that laissez-faire approach or let it be type of approach, let it go. Don't have government intervention that's going to stop the, the market, the invisible hand, from adjusting. These types of fluctuations are just a fact of life and we need to let them play out. And in the long run, it will play out and we'll see that that growth rate will see these cycles play themselves out. Then, of course, the Keynesian model basically happened in the 1930s when we have a big downturn is, is arguing that we can temper these fluctuations. So we can see the argument there being that we don't want to stop the long term growth, but we want to smooth out that curve. We want to smooth out that curve. And part of this argument is going to be, well, if we're trying to smooth out the curve, do we do we harm long term growth in the process of smoothing out the curve? And of course, are we able to smooth out the curve? Do we have the tools 
that we can do one to, to smooth out the curve to eliminate some of these troughs or make them less uh, large and two does that affect or how does it affect if at all the long-term trends the concept of a recession is a, is a decline in real output that, that persists more than two consecutive quarters of a year so a recession is going to be a normal business cycle is going to happen a recession is going to be a longer term decline a more sustained decline the term structural stagnation is a cyclical downturn that we do not expect to end anytime soon so when we think about this business cycle we think about this cycle happening within the short term the reason we think it's going to happen is basically based on past experience but the idea that there's a downturn and it's going to uh, have an upturn anytime soon is not a guarantee and the argument over this whether we're going to have an upturn in different areas especially in the downturn in 2007 and the way the downturn happens and the way that cycle is happening is a, a point of debate up until this recession it was basically thought that we had things figured out and we weren't going to see anything but a standard business cycle up until that point so the fact that we had a prolonged point of downturn the question is do we have just a prolonged business cycle or is it more something more more severe is it something that's more of a problem and that's going to be what the debate is if it's something that's part of a prolonged business cycle then the the remedy would you would think would be to leave it alone and let the business cycle work itself out if it's going to be something that is pro more prolonged then the reaction would be that we would need to put some intervention in there and of course the action that was taken was that the based on the assumption that the recession could then lead into a depression and a lot of action needed to be taken a lot of action was taken and there's still debate as to whether that action was effective or not meaning did that action many will argue stop us from going from a recession to a depression or was it something that was not necessary and something that uh, may have prolonged the cycle from uh, playing itself out and getting back to a normal trend now let's consider the macroeconomic topic of unemployment so the unemployment rate a rate that we'll often hear is the percentage of people in an economy who are willing and able to work but who cannot find jobs so we're going to be looking at and measuring the unemployment rate obviously the goal of the un unemployment rate is generally to keep it low we would like to have un low unemployment multiple reasons for that we want more people working and obviously if we're trying to get long-term output to be as high as we can in terms of gdp then we want more people working in order to do that as well so for the economy to be working well we would have most people working we also have the term of cyclical unemployment which is going to be the normal fluctuation within unemployment with the changes in the economy as opposed to structural unemployment which is caused by the the uh, institutional structure of the economy and the economic restructuring the idea of unemployment and the government being involved in terms of facilitating the unemployment and lowering the unemployment rate is relatively new before the before the industrial revolution we basically had family phone farms and things like that and when times were doing good there was more prosperity and people were doing better when times weren't as good then farms would not be doing as well in that time period and they would generally absorb those changes when we in terms of the industrial revolution note that we have now separated the ownership of the capital the business owners from the people doing the work now so when there's a downturn in the market a lot of times when we're talking about the industrial revolution we're talking about a lot of layoffs during those cyclical cycles so when there's a downturn now we've got layoffs rather than basically the means of productions the business owners kind of absorbing those layoffs so that leads to some unemployment problems again in terms of the industrial revolution the typical thought of the of the industrial revolution was that unemployment's not really a problem of the government it's not a policy problem 
unemployment is, a, is basically a personal problem at that point in time. Because of the change in the dynamics, because of this change in terms of the Industrial Revolution and the dynamics of how the economy is working, it was considered more and more to be a concern that needs to be tracked and uh, policies be put in place to keep the unemployment rate low. So and the act of 1946 and the U.S. government took responsibility for unemployment in 1946. You'll note that if you look at the Federal Reserve's objectives, used to be the objective in the Federal Reserve was just inflation rates, meaning we wanted to keep inflation low, thinking that that would, of course, be good for long-term growth. Taking on the unemployment as a dual mandate is an example of the fact that uh, unemployment being a, a big goal in terms of macroeconomic thought since this time period after the Industrial Revolution and after this, these trends have happened. We have some concepts related to unemployment in terms of full employment is the economic climate where nearly everybody is working. That's going to be the ideal condition, probably not something that we're actually going to achieve. If we have the concept of, fra of fractional unemployment, is the unemployment caused by people entering the job market and people quitting a job just long enough to look for another job. So we can assume that that's going to happen. So it's when we first start looking at unemployment, it was thought that we wanted to have unemployment be zero, meaning everybody's working, and that would be the optimal thing. But even those that are of working age and want to work, that seems unpractical in some conditions for the fact that we're going to have some people that are in between jobs. We have some people that um, are having other kind of transitional areas in terms of transitioning from jobs and transitioning skills, which could be another type of topic in terms as well. So what has happened over time is we changed from having uh, the interest rate being basically zero. We want no unemployment for eligible workers to uh, a very low rate that we will, is acceptable. And we call that like the target rate or often the natural rate of unemployment. The idea of a natural rate of unemployment would be the idea that we tend, the economy tends towards some natural rate of unemployment. And that would be the people that are in transit and the people are trans transitioning their skill levels. That would be the acceptable rate of unemployment. That rate changes and it fluctuates. It's around 5%. It could be around 5%. The target rate of unemployment changes due to things like inflation, demographics, and social and institutional structures. So it's something that does vary and it has changed over time, but we can get the conceptual idea that around 5%, what we're shooting for in terms of people that are expected to be unemployed due to uh, the natural rate of unemployment, meaning that we expect some people that even are in the job market to have some rate of unemployment due to some of these types of effects, such as changing skills, such as uh, moving from one job to another.